Ladies and gentlemen, please notice that exits are conveniently located at the front and rear of this auditorium. When leaving the theater, we suggest that the exit at the front of the auditorium will allow you easier access to the parking areas. Thank you. I got a six-year-old in my calculus class in college. It's going to take my job. What is this nonsense? Comic Sans? Butler had never seen this film, and I got the indication that he hated it. She's like, you pussy, get back in the game. He rebels against maturity by taking a job at a movie theater. Oh, no, I'm sorry. That's me. At a video store. Well, this is now owned by Disney, so you're going to see a remake at some point. Hi, I'm Mike Butler. And I'm Mike Field. And you're listening to the Forgotten Cinema Podcast. Each episode, we highlight a film that for a variety of reasons was forgotten by audiences, whether it be because a more popular movie was released at the same time or the film simply didn't catch on with an audience in its initial run. We'll discuss what we love about the movie or maybe don't love about it, but we'll always recommend you revisit it. If you enjoy our podcast, we want to hear from you. We're on Instagram and Facebook. Find us. Our podcast is available on all platforms with a backlog of over 175 episodes for your listening pleasure. What's going on? Uh, <laughs> Did you forget the movie we're doing? No, I just couldn't come up with a little stupid cheesy like beginning thing like I usually do fast enough. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just getting into New York City from Vermont. Yeah. Uh, and Just got I robbed in New York City. Met, yeah. met a guy that looks like the Godfather. At, totally not at the Godfather. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> That's right. We are back. We, I don't know. Where, we didn't go anywhere, but we are back. And we did. We're doing the, uh, the movie The Freshman from, I think, 1990, right? Yes. 1990, The Freshman, a summer film butler. Well, we'll get to that before as I get to the synopsis right now. Really, Ooh. really great start here today for the for the show. Uh, <laughs> Clark Kellogg, not the uh, gentleman that does the uh, NCAA sports uh, for uh, Matt March Madness. Uh, it's robbed moments after arriving in New York. So when he sees his mugger several days later, he confronts him. The man promises to return his property and get him a job with his uncle, Carmine Sabatini, who turns out to be a mafia boss. As Clark continues his shady work for Carmine, he discovers an elaborate underworld that has caught the attention of the authorities. As things come to a head, not everything is what it seems. That's not, that's, I'm going to say it, brother. That's not bad. It's all right. It's all oh, right. Just an all right? Why, what do you it want makes it there? a little bit more suspicious. Plus, he doesn't get any of his property back. His property is all gone. I doesn't guess. get his property back and seems savage. Well, he gets the money he for his the job. <laughs> <laughs> because he has to deliver that Komodo dragon. Yes, indeed. Or as it was actually in the movie, not a Komodo dragon, but a, and I lost the note already. A monitor lizard? Yes, an Asian monitor lizard, which is a relative of the Komodo dragon. So Asian water clear. monitor. That's it. Asian yeah. water monitor. It was clearly a water monitor uh, or like a monitor lizard. I was like, that's not a Komodo dragon. It'd be three times bigger. And also it would uh, eat them. <laughs> Even its saliva is poisonous. I wouldn't. So I wouldn't mind a Komodo dragon in this movie. All right. Anyway, we're, we're, we're <laughs> rambling and stuttering. So the freshman has a runtime of 102 minutes rated PG, which surprised me. Production budget of $12 million. Release date was July 27th, 1990, a summer film. Opening weekend, it did $4.2 million. Domestic 21.4 and worldwide is the same number. Either didn't come out internationally or didn't do enough. Uh, production company is actually it's produced by Mike Lovell and it was distributed by TriStar Pictures. Remember TriStar, everyone? Does everyone remember TriStar? Does, do you, Butler? Do you remember TriStar I, Pictures? I do. My first note is, oh man, that opening. 
<laughs> you're right. Well, I remember sitting in the theater. That well, come on, you're like, all right, let's go. Time for a movie. Yep. Uh, always, that's one of my favorite. Like that and the 20th Century Fox uh, drum roll. That's I one do, of my favorite. Uh, I always openings. like the old Paramount uh, fanfare or whatever it's called. Well, the the old Paramount one. Not they don't. I don't even think they do it now half the time. I think it just it's the image silent. But they used to have music that accompanied the stars going in. Oh, okay. Uh, so I don't know anymore. if I remember that. Yeah, I'd have to find it. All right. So on the 27th, it went up against Problem Child and Presumed Innocent. Presumed Innocent is an awesome film. Uh, you've seen that. Uh, have you? I always tell my favorite story about Presumed Innocent, but I'm not going to because it reveals the ending. So I'm not going to do that here. So uh, if you see me in person, I'll tell you. What's it Presumed about? Presumed Innocent is with Harrison Ford and um, he's Bonnie Bedelia's his wife. And he's oh, cheating no, yep, on his yep, wife. Yep, 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 yep. And then he's involved in the murder of his mistress or whatever. His mistress dies, and they yeah, yeah he's uh, he's on trial for it. Yep, yep. Yeah, I've seen it. Awesome, it's a good film. Uh, no. I think it's a good film. Uh, the week after August third, you had a wide release of Young Guns two, Ducktales the movie Treasure of the Lost Lamp. I'm sure that's a public favorite. <laughs> Limited release of Mo Better Blues and Metropolitan. And then the week before, the twentieth of July, you had Arachnophobia. I like that film quite a bit. And mm-hmm. Navy Seals. Do you remember Navy Seals? Yes. Yeah. I always remember the scene where Charlie Sheen jumps out of the uh, Jeep off the bridge. <laughs> <laughs> and I was like, oh, that, I can't believe they did that. <laughs> <laughs> this film is written and directed by Andrew Bergman. Bergman has directed Honeymoon in Vegas, It Could Happen to You, and Striptease. He also wrote, I believe, wrote all those. He's also written, he's also uh, has a writing credit on Blazing Saddles. Fletch and Soap Dish. Butler, you should see Confess Fletch. It's pretty good. Uh, at first, like, for some reason, the title didn't, like, mm-hmm. I didn't put two and two together and go, oh, it's a Fletch movie. I just was like, Confess Fletch. That's a weird title. Mm-hmm. I didn't even, like, two and two together. It's the Chevy Chase Fletch. Well, I guess well, it's based more on the novel I've been It is, yeah. Them. It's a bit, uh, as I told everyone who's asking me, it's, it's, the Fletch is more like Chevy Chase improv. Uh, that's where the comedy is, but this is more scripted comedy and John Hamm's charismatic enough to carry it. So I think it worked. So, I mean, I probably have a more affinity to the older Fletches because I grew up with them, but right. I'm not going to sit here and tell you that they're well, they're well crafted, uh, plot driven devices. <laughs> I haven't seen them in a long time, but I remember they're, really yeah. liking them. But part of that's because it's like old Chevy yes. Chase who used it, to be like funny and not grouchy. If we, <laughs> if we did an episode of Fletch, like for Forgotten Cinema, we would probably slam it. Like we'd probably be like, we'd probably have a lot of problems with the plot. We'd love oh, it. Really? It'd be quotable, <laughs> but we'd have a lot of problems with the plot. Yeah, it's been so long since I've seen it. Yeah. yeah. Well, he did two of them, right? But yeah, Fletch and Fletch Lewis. Chevy Chase. Yeah. Yeah. Cinematography was William A. Fraker, who was, uh, was nominated for two Oscars. Uh, excuse me. He was nominated for one, two, three, four, five, six Oscars. Dang. Uh, looking for Mr. Goodbar. Heaven can wait. He actually was nominated for two Oscars in 1941 or for the movie, 1941, excuse me. Nominated for war games and Murphy's romance. Composer was David Newman, who was nominated for an Oscar in, for Anastasia. He also did critters, the phantom, which <laughs> was an episode we did. And mm-hmm. the first two Bill and Ted movies. Edited by Excellent. Barry. What's up? Oh yes. Yes, indeed. <laughs> Edited by Barry Malkin who uh, was nominated for two Oscars, one for the Cotton Club and the other for the Godfather Part 3. And he also did Big. And then obviously, I said it before, produced by Mike Lovell, who's done White Fang, Chances Are, and Little Big League. 
This film has Matthew Broderick as Clark Kellogg. He's from Glory, which is an episode we did, Butler. Tower Heist, Election, and of course, Ferris Bueller's Day Off. Uh, Marlon Brando as Carmine Sabatini, who's basically playing Don uh, Corleone here. Yep. (laughs) Uh, He was nominated for one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight Oscars, Butler. He's won two. You probably know the one. What do you know? What movies he won two? One for? He's won two. On the waterfront. On the waterfront. Yep. And then, I mean, uh, the Godfather. Yes, I was gonna say it's pretty obvious. (laughs) Yeah. He also was nominated for Streetcar Named Desire, Viva Zapata, Julius Caesar, Sayonara, Last Tango in Paris, and A Dry White Season. Uh, Penelope Ann Miller as Tina Sabatini. Uh, She, of course, is in Adventures of Babysitting, as everyone should know this already. Uh, she's also in Carlito's Way, uh, the movie Reagan, I believe, which is new. It's coming out. And she is in the TV show Dahmer, which will be out, I believe, or either late this year or early next year. Is that uh, the Bruno, one that's about his mother? She plays Dahmer's mom, yes, but it's about Jeffrey Dahmer. Okay, I, I've seen the advertisements for that. Reagan, I think it'll be out by the time this comes out. Oh, good. Then, then sooner than later. Reagan, yeah. she plays Nancy Reagan, I believe. Okay. So. Bruno Kirby as Victor Ray. He's in uh, City Star Vic. Or he's in City Slickers, When Harry Met Sally, and Good Morning Vietnam. Frank Whaley as Steve Bushak, who is uh, Clark's uh, roommate in NYU. Uh, he's in Field of Dreams, Pulp Fiction, Swimming with Sharks, and Hustlers. John Polito plays Chuck Greenwald. I only have him in here because the last movie we did had him in as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, no, I'm sorry. Not the last movie. We, the uh, next movie the, we're going to Next do. week's movie has him yep. in it too. So I was like, wow, he's in two. Uh, he is in Miller's Crossing, The Crow, and Flags of Our Fathers. Paul Benedict as Arthur Fleeber. Uh, did you recognize him from the Jeffersons? Like his voice and he's the... Oh, oh yeah. He's yeah, in okay, a ton good. of stuff. Yeah, he is. He's a big time character actor. He's all over the place. He's also the man with two brains and the Adams family. And then <laughs> my note here is uh, that the the Jurassic World universe exists here because uh, B.D. Wong is in this as Edward. And I was like, this he's is here where it begins. He begins with the animals. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> he is obviously, of course, in Jurassic uh, Park and he's in only the first Jurassic Park. Right. And then he comes back in Jurassic World. Uh, the first three. one. And, yeah, and then Jurassic World. Yeah. And for those who watch Law and Order, he was on Law and Order for quite some time. Uh, he played uh, not. I don't think he was a lawyer, but he was kind of like a psychologist or something. So I think he was an SVU a lot. Um, I don't know if I had that. I don't know if I'm right there. All right. So you had never seen this film, correct? When we first talked, but I was like, I don't know this film. And then when I saw the poster, I was like, wait, no, I know this film. It used to always be on Comedy Central. And I watched a couple scenes, but I was never really interested in enough to watch most of it. So I, did, I've seen bits and pieces, but I never watched the whole thing. Did it interest you enough now? No. Oh, really? <laughs> to be honest, I laughed maybe a handful of times. I didn't okay. think I wasn't impressed by the movie, to be honest. Okay. Well, there were your... a couple of things that I liked, but my main thing is I don't think Matthew Broderick can act. Oh, stop. That's it. what I've decided. I, I was like, it. he's so one note. He's not entirely interesting. He's kind of like a boring Ferris Bueller thrown into a situation. I think he's a great actor for other actors to bounce off of. But I wasn't particularly impressed. <laughs> I, I, I like some of the stuff. Like I like Marlon Brando. Like I like that they identify him as looking just no. like Don Corleone without ever actually saying it. Let's go back to Broderick though. We'll get to yeah. that. Let's go back to Broderick. Are you going to go retcon now? Your glory up the glory episode we did. No, I think you... he's fine in glory. But you I just think said he's a terrible that, actor. That works. <laughs> I just don't think 
I don't know. I, I'm so torn because watching this, I'm like, it's kind of the same character from Godzilla. It's kind of still Ferris Bueller. It's kind of the same character from every Matthew Broderick thing I've ever seen him in. Well, then it's, well, let me it's, ask you. Go ahead. It's go ahead. weird. I don't, I don't know. I think he just works in glory well. And I think he works in Ferris Bueller well. I think he's just got to be put in a character that it works in. And I just, he's got this bravado in this movie that isn't earned. Uh, towards because the end he's, or, or just throughout? Throughout. But at the same time, he's a big giant pussy. I, I, I don't, I, like, I don't know where he falls on the character spectrum. Maybe he didn't put in the work for this movie in terms of his his character development. I just, there's choices he makes. And there's lines that are delivered that I just don't feel like were were like worked on for Broderick. It's like they were written for the script and like Broderick say that it's like maybe he would have said it differently based on the way Broderick plays it. But at times he's so direct, but at times he's so afraid of everything and it just it didn't match up for me. Okay, And I feel like because the movie centers around him, the movie then kind of fell apart, if that makes sense. And I also just didn't think there were enough funny lines. I like I don't think there was enough comedy within this supposed comedy movie. Mm-hmm. It was just kind of a comedy of errors, but maybe not enough errors as well. Well, I think a I think a lot of the because I've seen it a couple of times, and I think a lot of the comedy comes from repeat viewing because there there's some things that people miss or some because it, it kind of gloss over because there's a lot of like with Bruno Kirby's always because he's talking fast. There's a lot of things that that maybe somebody might not catch in the first viewing. Um, but I'm curious because because I'm going to go back to Broderick. Uh, uh, we always talk about like Tom Cruise. We always talk about celebrities who sure. are just they're always the same person. But that's what celebrities are. Um, do you not? Is it that you don't think Matthew Broderick is? his star is high enough to be considered in that realm in terms of uh, it's Matthew Broderick playing different parts. Or do you think that he, you, you kind of, you, it sounds like you kind of wish he was more of a character actor and would lose himself in movies and, and roles. And maybe that's just not his thing. Like which. I, I don't know. This is the first time I ever like thought about it. Like, cause I've always liked him like 1997 Godzilla. He's, he's kind of, great in that because he's supposed to be this dweebish nerdy dweeb mm-hmm. uh, ferris bueller he he works because he's just kind of a a, a dweeb but no, ferris bueller is cooler than cool apparently i never thought he was super cool but he was cool within his friends group okay he thought he was cool enough that it, it everything worked out for him mm-hmm. but then i'm like watching this and i'm like hey He's still Matthew Broderick. Nothing's changed. Nothing really changes throughout any of these characters. So I don't know. I've always, until this moment, until I just watched this movie, I was just like, I, 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 I don't know. So like I said, I think maybe you have to write for Matthew Broderick, but other actors as well have a certain charisma about them. Mm-hmm. Denzel Washington's almost always Denzel Washington put into different roles, but he's got this charisma and this, he puts himself in the roles. Tom Cruise obviously puts himself in harm's way for the roles, but puts himself in the roles with the exception of maybe a couple movies where he does, I think, disappear pretty well. Well, I'm curious. But I just don't if, think maybe he didn't disappear. This is also early 90s Broderick of like just off of Ferris Bueller, like 
put him everything kind of a movie. So maybe he just didn't get the chance or the time or maybe he just wasn't really into the movie. He just was like, all right, there's a paycheck. He's also not, uh, I wouldn't say he's hundred percent a movie star. He's a, he's a theater actor. He's Broadway. Um, True as well. So, so that's probably, I mean, I'm curious cause I'm, because you mentioned Godzilla and you're okay with Godzilla. And I, I I'm going to venture a guess because you grew up with Godzilla and you didn't grow up with this film. This is a film before you well, were. That's old another thing while I'm thinking, because I also grew up with Ferris Bueller, although I was mm-hmm. never a huge Ferris Bueller guy. Well, I know Ferris Bueller, also, Ferris Bueller played everywhere on TV all the time. So I can understand that this movie is just would, pervasive. Yeah. 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 But the freshman growing up, it was always on Comedy Central and I never really got invested enough to watch any more than like five minutes and go, eh, what else is on? Mm-hmm. Well, the freshman's biggest thing is the fact that Carmine Sabatini is Brando's playing the Godfather. I mean, that's kind of what brings people to the movie. And when they were going to do this film, Bergman talked about Brando couldn't really figure out how to play this role. And then Bergman had the idea of why don't we just say that you're the 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 inspiration for you know Don Corleone, the writing of Don right. Corleone, the Godfather, and that's what hooked Brando. So that's you know. I think that's funny. I think that's ingenious. And it's, I it's, think, yeah, that, that works yeah. when he's, when Matthew Broderick's about to enter the, when he enters his little bar and he first sees them and he just like freaks out and almost collapses. Is, is that who I think? Oh, the resemblance is uncanny, right? <laughs> yeah. And I, I wonder if they don't ever mention it because that's the joke or they don't mention it because they can't mention it. Like, you know what I mean? I'm, I'm, I'm curious. I would wonder if it began with, can we do this? And they didn't even bother, like, do we have to? Would it be mm-hmm. funnier if we don't even really mention it? Because mm-hmm. I think it's funnier not fully mentioning it. Mm-hmm. I think that makes the joke work even more. So it's kind of like a, if you know, you know, kind of a thing. Right, right. Which, but they had to have the rights because they show clips from uh, part one and part two. Well, you get that with permission from Paramount. So, yeah. Uh, yeah. Maybe they weren't. Yeah. So... Would you, because this movie was offered to uh, Robert Downey Jr. and he turned it down. Would you have preferred, this is not Robert Downey Jr. now. This is Robert Downey Jr. Right, back this then is, where he's troubled. <laughs> so, the Yeah, but he's in, is it War, what's the, was it War Games he's in? Who, Broderick? No, Downey Jr. What's the one where he's like a, he's in college and he's like a, kind of a douche. He's not the main character. Oh, he, yeah, uh, you're talking about back to school. Back to school. Yeah. So I can see because he's got a little bit more of a, like a bravado, mm-hmm. even young uh, Downey Jr. That I can see some of the lines that Broderick delivers where he's a little bit more like, no, I'm not, I'm not doing this. Mm-hmm. I can see that being more. I believe I would believe Downey Jr. a little bit more than I believe Broderick. Mm-hmm. But again, it's also how Broderick plays the scenes in between those moments as well. Mm-hmm. I, I, it seems like you just don't like his style, Broderick's style of acting. That just doesn't it, do it for you. In this movie, yeah. This is the first movie. I don't think he's bad. I don't think he's a bad actor like you think he is. Or you're, I, you're, like you're I said, this is the, this the first time. Is. Yeah. It's like yeah. the first time I've ever had that thought. No, I don't, I don't like, think <laughs> that. I think you just, maybe you just don't like his style. Maybe there's just some people, sometimes some actors, you just don't like their, their choices. And I think this is the first movie where his style didn't match with his character. Mm-hmm. And that might not be his fault, but it really didn't. I thought at least, I'm not saying I'm Ray, obviously, but I, I didn't think that Broderick style match up with his character. Okay. 
you don't you don't buy the romance angle in the movie uh uh Tina Sabatini Carmine's daughter played by Penelope Ann Miller she does she pretends to fall in love but she pretends like because that's the whole uh it's not that, a con it, it's just turns out that was their whole plan all along yeah but they do end up kind of being romantically linked at the end a little bit oh sure i i buy that it's a comedy movie i'm <laughs> i'm a, i'm a, i'm i'm all right with that because of how it turned out okay but obviously it starts out super zany and like get dude matthew get get away from this girl like run Oh, but right. again, with him, like in some case, like I feel like in some cases his character would run, but then he's like, you're grasping my arm so hard. And he's like, listen to me. First of all, you're not going to grab the arm that hard and like yank what you appear, what you think is an actual mobster's daughter. Mm-hmm. Like he is so cocky around somebody who could easily like garrot him in an alleyway. It just doesn't make sense. It doesn't make sense for me. Well, you're talking about uh, Carmine, not. Uh, not Vic. Are you talking about Vic? I'm talking about Carmine. Yeah. Yeah. But then he's, he's he's also cocky around, you know, his, his daughter and just, they, but they never, they never present the, I don't think they ever present the, the, the organization as being anything, but just, just a couple of guys. Because remember when he goes to the house, the guy with the shotgun is, is hiding the guard who was ducking the whole time. Right. So he never sees any of that. He he's initially scared. Yeah. But I I think that they always, and it's because we know it's a comedy. Maybe we're not afraid as well. There's no really serious threat to. Right. um, So maybe we don't view a threat. So you did like Barlin Brando's performance as Carmine Sabatini. What did you think of that? Oh, sure. It was fine. It was just Don Carleone again, but he got to have, I think, more fun with it. Well, that's what I was going to ask you. What's the better performance? Carmine Sabatini or Don Corleone? Don Corleone. Why? It's less silly. Maybe not better. Uh, How about this? Maybe not better. What's what's the more... Memorable? Yeah. How about that? Don Corleone. Okay. He's got, he's got better lines. He's got better moments. He's got better... Better lighting. He's got better gravitas. I mean, he's got better music behind him. It's just, um, you come to me on this the day of my daughter's wedding. It's like sure. as soon as he appears in that movie, I, you're just like, I, I'm not, damn. I don't have an answer for this. I'm just and, asking. And the orange peel scene. There's no orange peel scene. But yeah, I feel like he's a man at odds with what he is in The Godfather. Mm-hmm. Whereas in this movie, he's more a man at peace with who he is. And I guess maybe that's a little bit that more calmness. Plus it's a comedy movie is a little lighter. So I think it's a very similar performance, almost the same, but obviously the Godfather to me is more memorable, but to anybody who grew up with this movie probably thinks the freshman performance is more memorable. Oh no, no, I don't, I don't, you I don't mean, think you so? can't have this performance without the other, without one. the original. Yeah. Right. Do you think that this, do you think that we shouldn't hold this film? Uh, to the flames, the plot to the flames, as if you will, because it's a comedy. Or do you think that we should attack the plot? <laughs> <laughs> the plot itself, uh, I think the plot is fine. I don't know. I think the plot spends way too much time on the animals. That 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 one instance he worked for him. Whereas I think that it could have gone with like he worked a couple of times and did a couple of jobs. 
when he only does the one job and it's like, wow, we're really going to focus on this Komodo dragon, huh? I, I that kind of like, I don't know if it bothered me, but I was like, all right. Like he couldn't do like one or two more delivery jobs. And she's like, I did one job. Oh, oh man. You're like a son to me. And I, I get at the end, they reveal why the whole thing was about the Komodo dragon, but well, it they just don't really, became less about yeah, the relationship between the two of them. That whole plot point is not fleshed out a, a lot too much. I mean, you kind of, it is for the ending to see what happens and, and the two uh, wildlife uh, agents that were, you know, tricked into, were basically turned over, were, were, were caught, but they want you to believe that they knew all along about Clark, I guess, from the get go. Uh, they knew right. about his fa- his stepfather. They knew about the wildlife guys, but that doesn't really make sense because like were you, were you searching him out when he was in Vermont or you eyed him as soon as he got out of the train? Like that, right, yeah. that whole stuff didn't make any sense. Uh, it's just kind of a, a way to just be like, we knew all the time, you know, like how they could set up the two wildlife agents and, and, and get them. Set us some NYU state student from New York who's doing the same thing who we could have known about mm-hmm. from five states away. We got some random kid mm-hmm. from those spies. We don't have any spies in Vermont. And the, uh, this also has the same issue where I can't remember the movie we talked about. I don't think it was alienation, but I've been a couple episodes ago where they, and actually, you know what? This is probably a problem that we throughout films is they briefly bring up subplots, but they don't follow through the whole stepfather subplot with Clark. It's maybe given about 10 minutes of screen time. Mm-hmm. And at the end of the film, when the stepfather, uh, when, when Clark basically tells him, you, you ratted me out. And the stepfather tries to explain it and kind of Clark gets his backbone and says, just leave. Um, yeah. You know, that's actually a good moment. The problem is that it doesn't feel it could be a better moment if it was set up better. Um, uh, yeah. It's just kind of you know, there. Mm-hmm. And it's like, it's a story that could have been fleshed out, but you don't really earn it because you just get it at the beginning. Yeah. The movie wasn't about that, but they try to shoehorn it in about fathers and a real father. But again, mm-hmm. that's another thing is I thought it was going to be more about, especially based on the synopsis uh, that I had read, you know, at the top of like HBO max where this was, it's about the relationship between, uh, Carmine and uh, Broderick's character and or Clark and, and you don't really get a lot of that it's very quick yeah they so, don't that's another the father that's angle another doesn't play they, as well as it could have mm-hmm. if you spent they more time with that the father angle really could have right and it, they could have definitely touched upon that especially towards the end because the end of the movie he goes and helps him with the the dragon they, they're, they're, mm-hmm. they're taking a walk you, you get the sense that they're still going to remain together but it didn't really fit the way the, uh, when he was in the tent leaving and yeah. he was like, that was, I'll see you later. I'll never, like you thought like, I'll never see him again. And then I was like, Oh wait, no, he will. But it's not like, like that moment should be a moment where the audience would want them to get back, wants them to be yeah. together. And it, 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 it just came out of nowhere. So that's another, like you're talking about the whole father subplot with him and Carmine is touched upon, but never really, there's no really big payoff where there is a payoff, but it doesn't pay off for us because it's not given enough attention in the first and second act. And then the mm-hmm. other part is the subplot with the professor, the NYU professor, which I know what they're trying to say there. And I love it because it's absolutely correct. You know, you come to my class, you got to buy my book, uh, you know, oh, that yeah. whole thing. And he's complete 
completely douchey and completely full of himself, you know, that's something that like, you know, I fervently agree with, but it's not, but then once he finds out that Carmine Sabatini, he's working for him. He, he, he becomes mousy and that's it. He's out of the He's out of the picture. There's no reason for him to in the movie anymore. It doesn't, he's it's just, just there to be a generic it just kind of Peters out. Yeah. Like mean teacher. I, yeah. And I thought that that could have been, I thought that was interesting enough to like, I, I, I for some reason I, I had it in my mind that Fleeber shows up at the end, but he didn't. So then I was like, okay, I don't, because the fishing, the wildlife fishing game people, they come in about, 45 minutes into the movie, I think 30, 40, yeah, something like that. So it's almost like, okay, now these are the, these are the guys that we need to, the obstacles that we need to get over, but we just met them. So uh, like I said, that's, I started off this conversation. Do we really stick it to the plot? Do we put the plot to the fire because it's a comedy or not? (laughs) I mean, as you're watching the movie and you think, oh, it's mobsters. I think that you just, you're waiting for him to want to become a, a snitch. I think that's just something that even I was like, all right, so when are the cops going to come and say, you got to rat this guy out? There's going to be something where, you know, obviously watching, I expected him to be like, he's a mobster. I'll, I'll help you inform on him. And then it turns out he was never a mobster. And like, oh, I, I made a mistake. I assumed the worst of you or whatever. <laughs> so I think you're waiting for some kind of police presence. Right. But again, like you said, I, I think that they set up school is something that's an obstacle, but then it's not really an obstacle. I mean, that's a funny moment too. When Tina comes in and says, uh, my father thinks that Clark is an A plus student. Oh, he's certainly good. A plus. A plus. <laughs> that was, I thought that was great. Um, the, the tin can tuna. The tin can. Do you think I could have a meeting with him? You know, Jimmy, the I tin th- can. I think yeah. it's highly unlikely. <laughs> <laughs> but it's like, um, he didn't believe him when the, FBI or the federal bureau, the wildlife game guys came in. Like he told you who he was meeting with. Right. 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 This is actually, I don't want to say it's based on a true story, but this is based on uh, an article that Bergman read uh, about uh, mobster Vincent Teresa, who was arrested for smuggling a near extinct lizard in the United States. That's where he got this idea from. (laughs) Um, So, I mean, so that's why the focus is on the Komodo. I guess. I mean, (laughs) I mean, you just started off the whole movie with it. So I don't mind that. I don't mind that. That's kind of the final set piece. I just wish that they wrapped in those other subplots. Yeah. Or at least one subplot and gave it like the father son dynamic and, or, or made the stepfather more of a character. I think the father son dynamic between Carmine and Clark is the biggest missing piece to this film. Mm Mm-hmm. Plot wise and, and development wise and thematically, because I think that's the theme of the film. That's clearly what they set up as the theme, but I don't think that they follow through with that. Mm-hmm. The scene when uh, Clark first meets Carmine and he cracks those walnuts. Did you know that story? Um, uh, that Broderick didn't know that he was going to break those walnuts in his hand during that scene. And he oh, didn't right, know. Yep. He didn't know that Brando pre-cracked those walnuts. He pre-cracked the shells. So when he did it, Roderick thought that he was really squeezing Strong. walnuts. Yeah. I thought that was good. It's the Godfather. I would think that too. I'd be like, oh my God, that's Marlon Brando. <laughs> Brando also wore an earpiece in this film. So an assistant could feed him lines. Oh yeah. This uh, is this is post uh, really giving a shit about memorizing anything. It might not be that. It might, he might have memory problems. He might not have been able to. 
You it's know? the same thing with the Godfather. They had to feed him lines on a whiteboard mm-hmm. or uh, like Duvall had to wear the giant poster board with his lines on it. But that's a great story though. <laughs> Apocalypse Now, they had to hide his body because he was supposed to have a big fight scene, but he's too gigantic and fat. <laughs> but but that scene looks good. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I think it, the ending to the original ending to Apocalypse Now is stupid. A big mountain fight where they're tumbling down the mountain. Like wouldn't fit the rest of what Apocalypse Now was. So mm-hmm. good on Brando for getting fat and crazy. But this was about the time when he was because this is when was uh, the island of Doctor Moreau? Uh, ninety five years after that. Yeah, yeah. In the nineties, it was because it was after, uh, like Val Kilmer kind of blew up a little bit. So I, right. I want to say, yeah, I don't know if ninety seven is about, accurate. That's about when it all went. <laughs> Well, that was Brando. just a, that was a doomed, uh, shoot for well, a I lot just, of all the stuff about like Brando kind of going nuts and 96, yeah, 96. So yeah. So a shot in 95. So yeah. But I mean, I know that there are other actors who need to be fed lines and stuff as well. Ooh. Who? Well, Bruce Willis for one now because of his oh, that's not fit. That's, condition. That, but on. that's that's a. Low I can't blow. off the top of my head. I can't think of anybody else. But I know there are a couple of other actors who have a lot of problems with like lines. I didn't mean like to that. put you on the spot. I thought you had them. No, I did not. Head, my <laughs> but I do know that there are a couple. <laughs> did you know that Brando called claimed this film would be the biggest turkey of all time? Then why did you do read that? You didn't read <laughs> that. Oh, so and, uh, he condemned the film, and that's because the shoot went over a week. And he asked for $1 million more and the producer says no. And he's, and then he, he threatened to badmouth the movie. So they called his bluff. They fall through and he followed through with the threat. So the next day that he said that they paid him and then he started praising the film. (laughs) Ridiculous. A million dollars for one extra week of work. Marlon Brando. He's putting butts in the seats. It's true. I mean, mm, not, but you also not, have Broderick at that point, like right off of Ferris Bueller. Well, Ferris Bueller, you keep saying that, but Ferris Bueller was 86. So that's oh, was it? I thought Ferris Bueller was 89. Mm, no, I, you, you're Bueller, probably right. I, I don't, I don't know. Ferris Bueller. 86. Okay. Yeah. Uh, and then like, I think uh, this was either before or after, um, Biloxi blues, which mm-hmm. he did, he, but like, you, you know, you're having an issue with him. Maybe the same people were having an issue with him too back then. Glory's 89. So, you know. He did Glory maybe. and then he did this movie? Yeah. That's interesting. Why? <laughs> uh, just He goes from like general or colonel in a, in a brigade to being a college freshman. Mm-hmm. So it's just like his age range is just like, eh, go play a college student again. Go college freshman again. He just played the colonel of an entire battalion of men. No, no, no. Yeah, you're going to play a freshman in college this time. <laughs> well, he can start show off fit. in the summer right after high, high school. So just to give you an idea. So from, from Ferris Bueller's Day Off to Project X, uh, to She's Having a Baby. Oh, never mind. That's a, that's a joke one. To Bluxy Blues, to Torch Song Trilogy, Family Business. I don't know if you remember that one. Glory, then the freshman. Um, so... I mean, you're, you're, you're about six years away from the cable guy and the cable guy. Do you like him in that? I mean, the cable guy is funny. I'm not a huge cable guy. I have to watch it again. Cause I only watched it when I was younger. 
So obviously you're watching like Ace Ventura and then the mask and then watching the cable guy. It was like night and day difference. So I really have to rewatch the cable guy. It's something I've been meaning to meaning to do. There's no utensils in medieval times, but there's Pepsi. <laughs> That's my favorite line. <laughs> oh, all right. Anyways. <laughs> <laughs> Um, did you see the note that they met John Gotti one night while working? Yeah. Yeah. I thought th- my favorite part of the note is that someone made an awkward joke and they're just like, okay, let's leave. <laughs> <laughs> We're going to get shot. <laughs> also the other thing, and I mean, we'll get to it in terms of why we think it's forgotten, but something to consider too, is that this summer. So I said the 27th and I gave you the, the movies that came out, um, you know, like arachnophobia was, was the 20th of July, but, I right. usually don't go back further, but I want to because there's two huge films that came out that July ghost the 13th mm-hmm. and die hard Two on July 6th. So, Oh yeah. So I think those films probably carried over throughout the whole month of July. I would and, imagine. Yeah. And their big summer, like a lot, like, yeah, a big yeah. summer action film is going to beat a comedy film in the summer, at least I mean, more times than not. Die Hard two must've been, busy all the time in the theaters back then all the time right just because Die Hard is so huge and then Die Hard 2 comes out I mean and Die Hard 2 kind of has action it's not like it I know it's not as good but it's decent enough where it'll, it'll you know people are still gonna go see it so oh they're gonna see it just because it's got the name Die Hard on it <laughs> it doesn't matter that it's you know I know a lot of people have warmed up to it now but I know it wasn't very much like liked very well back then. Mm-hmm. It was mm-hmm. the bad one of the of the uh, diehards, but diehard yeah, two. You, yeah, for a while. I mean, now yeah. it's now people like it, but back then it was kind of like everyone kind of like, eh, it's the mm-hmm. temple of doom of the diehards. <laughs> they should have stopped uh, at three, but yeah, yeah, oh yeah. But I mean, back then, hey, you want to go see the sequel to Die Hard? There's a sequel to Die Hard. Mm-hmm. It's like, of course you're gonna see it. And Bruce Willis back then, you're you're watching that movie. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Do you want to see Die Hard Two again, or do you want to watch uh, Matthew Broderick uh, co- co- college comedy? I kind of like this film still, but I understand what you're saying. I, I'm not going to argue your. I'm just saying in points. terms of audiences and what they like. What you're saying with the competition—that's some stiff competition. Like mm-hmm. I don't think the summer release date is a good for this date for it. Yeah, I think it's very tough to have a comedy that really works in the summertime like i i know you want to do counter programming but i i just don't think like beverly hills cop is a great comedy because it's mm-hmm. also got action like you need something like that or just have some really really big comedy stars in your comedy movie to really well, blow it up but you also had it also went up against presumed innocent which is a big film and it's harrison ford uh you know and he's you know a bankable he's still a bankable star but he's you know right Super hot back then. So, you know, he's that's going your, to. That's your, uh, that's your one Ford movie a summer kind of movie. Yeah. He, it's usually, this is before he started migrating into the August because August used to be his month. Uh, Clear and Present Danger, even Six Days, Seven Nights, I think was late August, was early August. Uh, Air Force One. Right. So I'm trying to think, give me something that in this film you really enjoyed besides Brando. <laughs> Uh, so there's I, nothing else in this movie you liked. No, no jokes. I, no jokes hit for you. 
I'll tell you what. I hated that they didn't know where he was from. Like, for, okay. I, I hated it. I was like, oh, Montana. Oh, this, that, Kansas. Connecticut. But at the end, the end was Montana. When they announce it during the party, mm-hmm. straight from Montana, for some reason, like, they do, like, it's the same thing where, like, you tell a joke so many times it becomes funny again. I was like, I didn't laugh. I didn't laugh. And the last time when even the announcer says he's from Montana, I went, ah! So I thought that was, I thought that was funny. I do like chasing the monitor lizard through the mall. Mm-hmm. I was like, this is bonkers and totally not what I was like, this, not this move, what this movie is, but I enjoyed that. I enjoyed all the people just running for their lives with the, uh, Komodo dragon, uh, quote unquote, running through the mall. That also made me go, oh man, remember malls? Like people used oh. to go to them and it was like an entire day's experience. Yep. Those mm. days are gone. <laughs> Yeah, uh, but I like that scene. <laughs> uh, and they use different Asian water monitors for different scenes. You know, one that was calm, that was not sedated, but just was an older, calmer uh, creature. One that was they could run. It could. That's the one they were chasing. So, uh, you know, in this modern day of CG, everything CGI, I kind of appreciate that it, those were real creatures running around. <laughs> it was like gutsy of the actors to be like. Obviously, you can't hold a monitor, uh, Komodo dragon, but even a monitor lizard, I'd be like, those are some big nails on that sucker. Yeah, they're fine. <laughs> <laughs> Seat belt them up. I'm paying you $2 million. Suck it up. Yeah, you get, you're in a big movie, a big summer film. Do it. <laughs> uh, I also really like uh, Bruno Kirby in this movie. I think he does a really good job. I enjoyed his scenes. I didn't think he was like super funny, but I thought he played his role well, and mm-hmm. I did enjoy... Uh, the scenes he was in. Bruno Kirby has, I, I love him in study slickers. I love him in good morning Vietnam when Harry met Sally, but he's, he's like, you talk about Broderick. He's pretty much Bruno Kirby and everything. Oh yeah. Um, probably with the exception of good morning Vietnam. Cause with good morning Vietnam, he's like somebody who like, he wants, he's thinks he's cool, but he's not, he really is getting made fun of. And he, he turns into like, you know, not, not, the, not the villain, but he turns into like his, his uh ne- not nemesis but i guess nemesis for the lack of a better term sure uh he thorn in his side or whatever uh in robin williams character side uh so uh, you know he's he's but he's pretty much bruno kirby and everything mm-hmm. and i i like him in all the movies i just said and, and in everything he's been in, i've never had a problem bruno kirby do you think that this is i mean do you think that this is one of his better roles or just kind of I think this movie fits him very well. Yeah. And I'm saying I don't like uh, he's good in Good Morning Vietnam as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, but yeah, I just he was definitely a bright spot in this movie that I was like, this this works. This works because he's the perfect like, that kind of like he's not that kind of embarrassment to the mob family, but he's definitely kind of the one who's like uh, you go to like I can't remember what he says. Like, he swears or something in front of Carmine at one point. He's like, why do you got to go? Why do you got to go there? Like he's just that family member that you're just like, all right, you can depend on him, but also come on, man. So I, I think that worked really well for him. And I, I do enjoy like when he, uh, you want to help me? You got me. You caught me. You want to help me up with this stuff? And they're like hanging his clothes as they're talking. I really like that scene. Mm-hmm. So, but I, so I think it really worked well, but yeah, you're right. He is always pretty much the same guy. You didn't like, I love the name of Fleeber's treaty. The, the, the treaties that he said you have to read Felita's treaties uh, uh, guns and provolone I like that oh. <laughs> <laughs> did you catch that um, did you ca- uh, one of the, 
two things I didn't like. I didn't understand he's he's I didn't like the voiceover, but I never like voiceover. So right. there you go. I figured you wouldn't like that. Yeah. Um I just I just don't I'm not a fan. Uh the scene where he first meets his roommate. And he's holding the viewfinder. Oh uh, yeah. All I kept thinking was fourth four three. This viewfinder's four three. This viewfinder's TV. It's not. It's not sixteen nine. It's not cinema. It's not one. I mean, like, what? What the heck is this? Uh, what I figured, like, and it totally isn't what the character gets. Like Frank Whaley, which I also really like Frank Whaley in this. I, I like Frank Whaley in general. Um, his name was Steve Bushek. Is his name? Uh, like when he appears, he comes off as like, ah, oh, this guy's gonna be insufferable. Like I figured like I didn't mind like what he was using. So I just figured like, oh, my roommate's coming. Let me pull this off my desk real quick and put it in his face. He's going to love that. So it's like, ugh. but then that, again, the character is just that's not the character we get after that scene. I think he's also you think that and then when you film student would just be recording everything or want to record everything or want to think about stuff cinematically. But I think. This is he's in and way you because it's, they can just do the Fleeber stuff and, and make a comment on that and mm. and move on. So other than because you've already kind of talked about the release date being an issue. You don't think it's a summer film. Mm. But, and I'm going to say besides that people you're going to say people don't like Matthew Broderick. <laughs> why do you think <laughs> that this movie didn't do well in the box office? I don't think people don't like Matthew Broderick. I, I don't know. Forgotten. I'm still ruminating on that. Um, I think that obviously been a long time since Marlo Marlon Brando passed. I think that people don't know that he played his character again in the freshman. I think that this movie is maybe very much an early nineties film or late eighties, early. I know it came in 1990, but it's very much a late eighties, early nineties film. Well, it's got that rap montage in the beginning. So yeah, that's usually the cleaned up NWA. (laughs) Oh, that's right. That's right. Yeah. But yeah, it's, it's it's very much like, Hey, let's go into the city. Pretty much. Hey, look at this. Look at these, uh, look at these black guys, like about to rob these white guys coming out. Oh, the rich against the poor. Yeah. Yeah. Which also again, never comes up again. Well, that's another thing I hate in the movie. They're in grand central. Where's the subway? it's all there's, over the walls yeah, there's it's, plenty of signs dude come on even back then it's literally built into the building yeah yeah so I, was, I thought that was really stupid obviously anybody who's never been to new york city or grand central doesn't know that but it's just like come on well he uh, had to have visited nyu on a trip to see if he wanted to go there that's also gonna, true yeah I mean, it's also true that's a two-mile walk yeah but um I don't even remember your question anymore. Why do we think it's forgotten? Well, it's like, oh, it's very much set in the night in the early nineties. And I think we talk about how some movies can be timeless. I think it's tough to make a timeless movie when you place it in a city like New York that has changed so much in that much time. Or when you rely a lot on older cars, uh, older styles. Like this movie just kind of screams early nineties. Uh, late 80s and I think that doesn't help it and I think that it just doesn't have any other than Broderick who's I'm not going to say a star has eh, he hasn't really been in a lot of stuff recently I don't know if a star hasn't faded but he just hasn't been in a lot recently to be in the public's eye 
Mr. Broderick, if you're listening to this podcast, that is Mike Butler uh, disparaging you, not me. <laughs> uh, Mr. Broderick, uh, no, I, no, I, I, think, I think I think you're great in glory, <laughs> but I think that I just don't think that there's enough star power in it now that keeps it in the public eye. And again, cable's dead. This used to be on cable all the time when I was younger. And it's on not HBO anymore. Max. It is on HBO Max, but or when whenever you, type, you listen to this now, Warner right. Brothers Discovery or Warner if, Brothers Universal Discovery, whatever it is now. <laughs> when you type in uh, the freshman, the, the first two things up. you get, <laughs> <laughs> it's like it was the still the even after I typed the freshman, it was like the fourth thing on my list on HBO Max. The first two being the Fresh Prince, even though I clearly typed in the freshman. Uh, so. Even HBO Max is like, you're not really looking for this movie, right? You you're sure? Yeah. <laughs> I think that hurts. I think the fact that it's not entirely quotable. It's not, I don't know, to me at least, maybe you have a different opinion. It's not laugh out loud funny. There's moments I left. I mean, it's not, am I going to say it's, it's, it's not funny enough to, 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 to stand the test of time. You know, sure. it's. If you're, you know, I think it's just, I think it's really cool to see Don Corleone again, basically, but more comedic. Um, so I think the pull is Brando. I don't think the pull is Broderick. Um, and just some of this, and Bruno Kirby's really good in it. I just think that it's not like there's obviously funnier comedies that were back then. Mm-hmm. Um, but I'm curious, you said something that um, I wanted to ask this question. So you don't think that this movie, this the New York City in this film is indicative of New York City in the nineties. Is that what you're saying? No, I think it is indicative indicative of New York City. Okay, in the 90s. okay. But I think that that doesn't make it timeless. Well, what's funny is that you had but this I mean, movie I that came other, out. You're going to say uh, the other movies that are well, New I'm York back say, then. It's I'm going to say New Jack yeah. City because New Jack City was early nineties and it dealt with right. something very specific that was happening within the city, which was the crack epidemic. And, but it's relatively like within the same time frame as this film. So I just, I, I, I don't, I'm not saying, didn't well, we I'm say saying that anything. I'm just saying it's, 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 it's fascinating that there's two films around the same time and it's two different types of cities. Oh, for sure. Yeah. Well, right, that's the thing right. about New York. You can make it so many different kinds of New York, mm-hmm. depending on what you want to focus on. Um, but I think you talked about it with New Jack. That's one of the reasons New Jack uh, gets forgotten because it is so set within its time period. Well, it's um, definitely but I a think, movie of that time. Yeah. And it can't right. be remade because it won't have the same powerful impact as it did back then. Right. What's interesting about New Jack is they make New York City like this fairy tale v- version of it, kind of. It's it's a heightened version of it, uh, which I think helps that. And I, I don't think that that it's set in the early 90s and totally looks like early 90s New York hurts the film. But I think it keeps people like we've talked about before. It keeps people from. Like those images, that imagery in your head would want to keep you from, ah, it's old. It's old. I don't, I don't want to watch it. I'm of course talking about younger people. Yeah, younger than you? Younger than me. Yeah. People <laughs> like my age and older, like your, your age and stuff like that and older, we're going to look at it and kind of have like a, a reverence for it. So it reminds us of a time that, you know, we experienced long ago, mm-hmm. but anybody younger than that, it's going to be like a year old. I'm not watching this. <laughs> Why are those cars so boxy and square? But I like watching 
films back then, though. I like I, we just had a conversation about these movies that I'm watching that were from the 80s. So uh, before, but that's the thing. It's like you, on, you watch it with a little bit of reverence that I, th- I don't think the younger generation would. I just want to watch. Well, because I want to watch films that came before the film. There's, because the further you get away from those years and those decades, the, the more that those the era of films kind of come into focus in terms of what was putting what was being put on screen and why and what people were trying to say and maybe we missed it the first time. This is not one of those films. <laughs> this is just a fun <laughs> movie. Like this is right. meant to be a fun movie. Let's put it that way. It's not a movie that's meant to have. It's not a snapshot of the time. It's just you know. It's just meant to be a fun film, you know, but I think you have to be attuned to that comedy. I think if, you know, is it, is the freshman, the first thing I'm going to grab when I want to want to have a movie night and people want to be like, I want to watch a Matthew Broderick film or, you know, or Marlon Brando. It's like, no, <laughs> it's not. But, um, I, I just, I definitely think, I mean, I definitely would think that people should go back and watch it. I definitely think people should check it out. It's short enough. I think it's a nice, Saturday night film. I don't think they would be, I think they'd get some laughs. I mean, maybe if they were, you know, if they didn't like Matthew Broderick, like you don't, <laughs> I'm not being a dead horse, but yeah, I, I think it's, I think it's worthy enough or good enough to suggest for somebody to watch. It's um, okay. If you like the Godfather, it's like, yeah. do you want to see him in a comedy movie? He's basically the exact same character. He's the exact same actor. Yeah. I think it's that novelty alone is worth the watch sure. for sure. Mm-hmm. I don't think Matthew Broderick is bad. I think it's just, it hurts the film a little bit that his character makes his characters just all over the place. Maybe that's what I'm getting at. Cause again, it's like, I'm, I'm still ruminating. I'm still germinating this thing, but I totally didn't even think about glory when I was thinking about this, but I think mm-hmm. it more boils down to this character is all over the place. And I think that, first and foremost is the thing that hurts this film for me. So before we leave it, uh, cause I know we kept, I, I meant to bring this up, note up earlier when we were talking about Broderick and all that stuff, but I forgot. Mm-hmm. But Bergman talked about how Broderick was very hot at the time and he was impossible to get. He was like the hottest thing going. So he was extremely like popular in terms of putting in stuff. So he clearly was bankable at, uh, to some degree. Well, say, this has got to be like, yeah, this yeah. is the time of Broderick. And he only deg- agreed to do it because Brando did it. And Bergman's comment is that, once Brando was in the picture, he could get any actor he wanted. Even Olivier wanted to be in the film, uh, but, he, <laughs> but he, but he was too sick. So he couldn't be in it. So uh, it's like, so I, I would no. Olivier have been like the bartender. He, he been, this says instead of Max Shell, which I'm assuming is the, isn't that the bartender? That's the bartender. Yeah. Yeah. So it's like a really small role. A little so, cameo. Yeah. Okay. But that would have been all right. I would have been like, Hey, hey, but yeah, it wasn't meant to be. So that also that also explains why they had like eight other actors in line to be uh Broderick's character. Oh, I'm like, sure. oh he's gonna say no. All right, who else do we get? Everybody who's <laughs> young back then. Oh, I'm sure. All right, Mike, where can they find us? You can find us at ForgottenCinemaPodcast.com or ForgottenEntertainment.com as we are part of the Forgotten Entertainment family. While you're there, check out all the other great podcasts and videos we have for you. They're pretty good. Check them out. And uh wherever you're listening to us, why don't you go ahead, give us a review, drop a like, subscribe. All the good stuff helps our podcast grow. And uh, check us out on the lobby on Facebook where uh, we can talk about the movies. Tell me how wrong I am. Uh, I'm sure that's what's going to happen. Ah, I feel no, great. I, 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 I usually. It's great. Usually. It's great. Uh, join us next week. We jump in a couple of years, jump in 10 years, 11 years to 2001. We're going to be talking about the Taylor of Panama. 
So uh, uh, you had not seen this film, right? I had not. And this was a film that you couldn't figure out what film it was for the yeah, longest time. Yeah, I mistook it for Palmetto. So. <laughs> no, you mistook it for Palmetto and After the Sunset. Right, right. But this yep. is so, but I, but I was half right because Pierce Brosnan's in both After the Sunset and the yes. of Panama. So we are good <laughs> <This> now. That's true. <laughs> <laughs> so that is next week. Until then, everyone have a great week. I'm Mike Field. I'm Mike Butler. And this has been Forgotten Cinema.